0: Uh, Lord, thank you so much for tonight. Uh, Lord, we just put it before you. We thank you, Lord, that um, your word is truth. Uh, Thank you for um, the saints that we're going to see tonight in your word. Uh, Lord, uh, just uh, Paul's commitment, uh, just the unity of the church, Just, uh, just a beautiful picture, Lord, of just you pouring your grace and your love and your spirit um, into the church. And uh, God, I pray that we uh, we could glean from that and uh, uh, truly uh, shine uh, for you in uh, this day and age. Uh, so we thank you and praise you for these things. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> so um, we're in Acts twenty three twenty three, And... I don't know how much of how much we need to go over to get you up to date. Um, Paul has been. Um, <clears throat> Paul has finally makes it to Jerusalem. Gets to Jerusalem. Shares with James and the leadership there all of the things that the Lord has done in those in his three missionary journeys and uh, just his time out in the mission field. You know they come up with the plan to kind of. Smooth things over with um, with the Jews in the church, and um, that kind of you know it's kind of hard to it's it's hard to say if it backfired. Um, you know, it certainly I don't think had the impact or the outcome that the leadership wanted, but it was just another step in getting um, Paul to um, to Rome, because um, now that he's made it to Jerusalem, um, the next stop for him is Rome. And um, it's interesting how, um, you know, just how things work out. You know, God has a way of getting us where he wants us. It just seems that a lot of the time it's not the way that we expect. Or we would, you know, that we would certainly choose. You know, some of the, when you read some of these accounts in, in Acts, when Paul's in the middle of getting mauled by the mob, you know, you know, it says, like, they, they got in in time to get him before they pulled him in pieces. When, you know, when you think of that, I mean, that's, um, that's, pretty, that's a rough crowd, right? <laughs> they're thinking they're going to pull you in pieces. So it's just, um, you know, Paul is, uh, he, he hooks up with um, Elissius, the commander of um, the Roman uh, occupation in Jerusalem. You know they go back and forth. You know if you remember, they he mistook Paul as this Egyptian um, renegade who had escaped uh, the law. Comes to find out that um, almost uh, to his detriment, that Paul is a Roman citizen. So Paul is um, is has has had another opportunity in the beginning of chapter 23 to speak to the council this time. He, um, he tries a, a relational kind of, hey, brethren, you know, and he tries to relate to them, you know, on that level, it doesn't work. So the next best, best thing is he causes um, a little strife between the Pharisees and Sadducees and starts talking about the resurrection. So we just see Paul, he's um, being led by the Lord, led by the Spirit, um, so now Paul is, in uh, 2311, Paul is um, in in a cell, and uh, the Lord appears to him and tells him to, you know, know, said he did, you know, paraphrasing, he did a great job here in Jerusalem, everything went well. (laughs) You know, and you're thinking about everything went well, here he is sitting in a cell. But God's perspective is so different. But, you know, it's different, but God is protecting Paul at the same time. And, you know, keep that in mind. You know, things look a little different for us from time to time. Uh, Our perspective is a little different than God's, but God always has his hand on us. He's never going to lead us someplace where he can't take care of us. And I really believe Paul knew that. So he's in the cell. The Lord encourages him, you know, now you're headed to Rome. Paul's nephew overhears um, the plot that the Jews had made. To um, not eat or sleep or drink anything until they kill Paul. So those guys—it doesn't tell us—but they died of malnutrition sometime after that um, request. But anyway, so Paul is. Um, Paul tells the centurion, "Take my nephew to the commander." The young, the commander takes the kid aside. He tells him what's happening. So the commander is, um, is Lysias. So let's pick up in verse 23 of chapter 23. And um, we'll, um, we'll just kind of read through and make some comments as we go. So in verse 23 it says, And he, this is Lysias, called two centurions, saying, Prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea, at the third hour, which is nine o'clock, the third hour of the night, and provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix, the governor. So obviously, Lysias took the threat serious. He uh, ends up using almost half of the, the, the army, you know, the occupation that he has there in Jerusalem, 470 men to get Paul from Jerusalem to Caesarea safely. You know, you know that's, um, that's God's hand on, you know, on Paul, protecting him. Protecting him. So it's interesting, too, to note that, and we'll, we'll see, well, let's read a few more verses and then we'll comment on that. So, verses 25, let's read down to verse 30. So, Lysias, he writes a letter. So, it says, he wrote a letter in the following manner. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent Governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. And when I wanted to know the reason they accused him... I brought him before the council, and I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that the Jews laid wait uh, for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him, Farewell. So, Lysias has got the responsibility of presenting some type of a written document, telling Felix what the charges are, what's the situation. If you notice, if the way that he writes this letter, it's pretty interesting. In verse twenty-seven, it says this man was seized by the Jews and was about; they were about to kill him. You know that's true. Um, and then it says, you know coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. So he's making it sound like, you know, it's typical, you know, he's certainly not going to say, oh, by the way, I didn't find out he was a Roman citizen until after we chained him and we were getting ready to scourge him, you know. So he kind of um, just kind of fluffs it up a little bit, you know, makes it look like, oh, we knew he was a Roman citizen, and we just got right down in there and saved his life. So, Just an interesting um, sidelight to that. Um, Thinking of what it must have been like in in, um, Caesarea uh, before we we move on a little bit, um, you know that I was just wondering how, because now Paul is in Caesarea, is gonna be in Caesarea when we get there. And Luke is gonna be there. So this is an interesting time because a lot happens in Caesarea, all right? But let's, um, let's just keep reading a little further and we'll see what's going on um, in Caesarea. Now keep in mind there's people in Caesarea that um, are pretty prominent, right? And we saw that when Paul stopped in Caesarea before he got to Jerusalem, right? There's um, Philip and his family, um, Cornelius, right? How can you forget the the Italian centurion, right? I mean, he's there with his crew. I mean, there's a, there's a, um there's a lot happening in Caesarea. And you you know, and, and it's really just God's hand getting Paul there. And think of what it must have been like, you know, we think of what church life is like now. But if you could try to think of what it was like with Paul being in Caesarea, Luke being in Caesarea, Cornelius being in Caesarea, Philip being in Caesarea, and who knows, maybe Agabus is still there. Think of what church life must have been like. Because we're going to see that by the by the end of tonight that Paul is going to be able to have visitors while he's there. And commentators, there's some commentators that believe that Luke really accumulated a lot of the book of Acts, a lot of information that went towards writing the book of Acts. But it must have been just a a wild time being together with, with these men and the things that they had gone through. I mean, think of what it would have been like for Luke to sit down and talk to Cornelius. What was it like when Peter showed up and started preaching and the Holy Spirit fell on you guys? I mean you got I mean, it's a, I mean, in church history, think of just how paramount that was. And Luke has an opportunity I'm just assuming I'm not saying this is gospel but to have the opportunity to interact with these men. How about Philip? Philip? What was it like? You know, you were one of those original guys you were called with Stephen. You know, you, you just think of the, the conversations and the times of prayer and just the interaction. So a lot of good things are happening in, in Paul's journey. So we know that um, Lysias, um kind of fudged the, the letter a little bit as he sends it to, um, as he sends Paul with the letter um, to Felix. So it says in verse thirty-one that the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. And the next day they left the horsemen to go on with them, or with him, and return to the barracks. So, if there was going to be a um, an ambush on this caravan going down, um, that would have been the place. From Jerusalem to Antipatris because it was all these winding roads, so it was roughly like thirty nine to forty one miles from Jerusalem to Antipatris. And it's interesting when some of the stuff that I was reading, they said it was like a like a um, a way station or an in between point. And you know, I was thinking of you know, you watch some of the old cowboys, and you know, you see the The stagecoach goes, like, halfway, and it gets, you know, the horses get fed. You know, they get some water. They take a break. Well, that's what I thought about this place in my mind. So it was a place where, like, where it was almost halfway. They would get there. They would rest for a little bit, you know, water the horses, whatever. But it says that after, after they left there to go the rest of the way to Caesarea, Um, The 70 70 of the men stayed. The horsemen stayed with Paul, and the rest went back, uh, back to Jerusalem. Because from Antipatris all the way back, all the way to Caesarea, was wide open, a lot safer ride, and seventy horsemen uh, probably could you know handle anything that would come up. So once again, you know God's hand is on Paul. Um, Lysias certainly. Wasn't going to take any chances with Paul's, you know, anything happening to Paul, being a Roman citizen. But, you know, in spite of that, you know, God uses those circumstances in ways that benefit him. So it's it's an amazing thing to see. So in verse 33 through 35, it says, And when they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor, they also presented Paul to him. And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, "I will hear you when your accusers have come." And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So the governor is Felix. We really don't need to spend a lot of time on Felix. He wasn't—he um, wasn't the best of men. He—he uh, he was a slave before he got into politics and. Uh, ended up in the position that he was in. Um, he was uh, freed by Emperor Claudius. And because Felix's brother was a friend of the emperor, Felix, his political career kind of blossomed. You know, and it's, um, sometimes it's not what you know, it's who you know, right? And in this particular case, it worked out for him. Um, let's see, he wasn't very popular. He wasn't a very popular guy. Felix was was known for indulging in every kind of lust. Tacitus described him as exercising the power of a king with the character of a slave. So interesting kind of guy to have to present your case to, right? I mean, he was more interested in bribes than he was in the truth. So Herod's Praetorium, you know, it was built by Herod the Great and they actually had cells for prisoners there, and uh, that's where uh, Paul was held. And it's, it doesn't take long for Paul's accusers um, to come down to Caesarea, and uh, they didn't hesitate um, to follow Paul. It was, they didn't waste any time at all. And as we, as we move on, um, I think you'll see that Paul isn't, and this is important, he isn't defending himself as much as he's witnessing for christ in the church and you know guys that's our primary function even in the day that we the times that we live today you know our primary um, purpose on this planet is to be a witness and to be a light for christ you know and there's you know sure there's a lot of weird things going on but don't lose sight of that you know we 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 definitely God's called us for a purpose and he's he's given us a, you know we're on a mission and it's just important for us to understand that and you know Paul you know Paul doesn't get caught up in the politics and I just love how sensitive he is to the holy spirit and how he's just he you just see him handle these situations not so much with a, a sense of ease, but just, um, you know, he just just handles them in such a, um, uh, just a, like an exercise of wisdom. You know, he doesn't get ahead of himself. He doesn't get, you know, he doesn't fall behind. He's just, you know, right, it just seems like he's saying the right things at the right time. And it's just, a, I really attribute it to his walk with the Lord and his relationship with the Lord and just being sensitive to the leading and the guiding of the Holy Spirit. And, um, you know, that's available, obviously, you guys know that. That's available for us today. You know, Paul just models it for us. It's not like, I don't know if it wouldn't be wrong to say, I mean, he, I, I don't want to put him on a pedestal, but at the same time, I don't want to take him off the pedestal either because he's really has been just an awesome example for us. But, you know, these things we see in the book of Acts, you know, that that kind of, Um, sensitivity to the Holy Spirit, being led by the Holy Spirit um, is available for us today, guys. And it's, you know, stuff that, you know, we really need to seek the Lord about and just trusting him. And, And really, this is God's method. God had spoken to Paul. Paul heard what God said and obeyed, right? And Paul's confident that he's being led by the Holy Spirit. Paul, in spite of what people told him, felt in his heart. That he was in the will of God going to Jerusalem, and he was in God's will, you know, and once again, I just want to kind of bring it to where we're at, you know, you know, we really need to, to be confident in our relationship with the Lord as God is leading us, you know, we, and prayer, being in the word, just seeking God, spending that time, um, you know, and that's how, I, that's how that sensitivity grows, you know, it's spending that intimate time with the Lord, spending the time in the Word. And you know what? It's trial and error, right? Sometimes it turns out to be, okay, Lord, is that you? Well, do you take a step of faith and, you know, God kind of moves things around? But that's, you know, that's our walk with the Lord. You know, I wish I could say that, um, you know, in the years that I've been saved that I'm batting a thousand, you know, I'd even be happy to say I'm batting 500 sometimes, you know, it's, it's life, it's life, and, you know, I know that um, a lot of times we, um, you know, we focus on folks in the, in the fellowship that, you know, or maybe in a service that aren't saved, but, you know, as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself, you know, there's so much ministry that needs to happen in the church to individuals, because you know think about it once you get saved that's when really i mean the excitement starts but that's when the battle begins right that's when you know you're 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 wondering about things that you've you've done in your life as a christian you're dealing with those struggles and you know it's just so important for us to um to be there for each other and to understand that Um, You know, it was rough before we got saved, but the battle, it still continues on. And now that we have a sensitivity to the Lord and more of a consciousness of God's presence, sometimes it becomes even more difficult. But we need each other. We need each other to to build each other up, to encourage one another. And, you know, of course, we've seen that throughout the book of Acts. So what's ahead for Paul as we go into into chapter 24? So 24 through 26, obviously we're not going to read two chapters or cover two chapters uh, tonight, but just to give you an idea, Paul's going to witness in Caesarea, he's going to be in prison there for two years, Um, he's going to receive a a formal hearing, hearings from Felix Festus and and, um, Agrippa, and um, the... Actually, his trial with Festus is really going to be, um, the, out of the three or four that I mentioned, is really going to be something that resembles a real trial. Okay, and then finally in Acts 25, those first 12 verses, Paul is going to get to the place where he um, appeals to Caesar. And once again, even with that, and you know, not to get too far ahead. But, you know, Paul has the option to either stay, they wanted him to go to Jerusalem, back to Jerusalem for the trial, and he knew that if he did that, he would have never made it. So, at that particular time, you know, he he exercises his right to go before Caesar and to be tried before Caesar. So, just another glimpse into, you know, just his sensitivity and being aware of what's going on around him. So... Twenty X twenty four. This is um, there's a there's a lot in this chapter that I, I didn't realize until I really started looking at it. But let's let's just kind of read through it and um, just we'll make some comments as we go. But it's really an interesting chapter. So let's read the first four verses. It says, "Now after five days, Ananias the high priest came down with um, the elders and a certain orator or a lawyer." <laughs> named Tertullius, and these gave evidence to the governor against Paul. And when he was called upon, Tertullius began his accusation, saying, seeing that through you we enjoy great peace and prosperity in being brought to the nation by your foresight, we accept it always and in all places, most noble Felix, with all thankfulness, Nevertheless, not to be tedious to you any further, I beg you, hear by your courtesy a few words from us. And, you know, I'm reading it, and I can't help but laugh. You know, here's a guy who can't stand Felix. I mean, there's so much animosity and hatred between, you know, these two. And yet he's like, you know, typical, you know, I shouldn't say that. He's not a typical lawyer. He's... You know, because that would be really be bad. I know a lot of people that are lawyers that are very nice, so but you know, he's just buttering them up, and it's not I mean, certainly Felix is not believing a word he's saying, and he's probably sitting there saying, "Okay, come on, just get to the point. You know, forget about all of this. just get to the point." So he's a lawyer. Um, he opens up. Um, the prosecution trying to flatter his way with um, with Felix but what as we read verses five through nine we 're going to see that you know he, he they 're going to level four basic charges against Paul and I guess it depends on how you break them up some it could be three but I, I I came up with four all right so um, either way let 's just read through those and um, it's just this guy is an interesting guy we have found this man a It's a plague. When's the last time somebody called you a plague? Oh, my gosh, how bad do you have to not like somebody to call him a plague? You know, it's like, oh, my gosh. A creator of dissension, so that's two charges, uh, among all the Jews throughout the world, and a ringleader to the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, and we seized him, And wanted to judge him according to our law. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you. By examining him, this would be Paul, yourself, you may ascertain all these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. Wow. So, yeah, this you can tell there's no love lost for Paul, right? So we, they have found this man. So his opponents argue that Paul had been causing riots throughout the empire, that he spoke against the law of Moses, and that he brought a Gentile into the temple. So he proceeds, and he, there's these four charges, and I'll just mention them and make a little comment about a few of them. But something I want to... I want to say this as we kind of jump through this every so often. Those things in the accusation that were criminal were not true. And those things in the accusation that were true were not criminal. So that's the whole logic of the thing. You know, it's just, They have no case at all, but they're going to do their best to, to present it. So the first, in verse 5, he, you know, he calls them a plague right? You know, and I looked up some of the the synonyms for that, you know. He's talking about being a nuisance or a pest. You know, I know every once in a while when I was little, I, my dad would say I was like a little pest, you know, go do something, you know. But, you know, to be called a plague and a pest in, in this context is kind of crazy. The second one, he was a creator of dissension uh, among all the Jews. And this is, of the four charges, this is the serious one because They could have viewed this as sedition, and it really could have caught, you know, that they could execute Paul um, for that. Um, The charge had uh, political overtones because Rome, um, you know, they tried to maintain order. You know, you you didn't buck the system there. Um, It's too bad you can't send people, some people from today back in time. Could you imagine people protesting the way they do today with the Roman government? It would be all over with. But anyway, so that's that's the serious of the two, you know. Paul is when we get to his rebuttal, he's going to obviously um, deny that charge, and then and once again in verse five, it's, they said he was the ringleader of the sect of the Nazarene, you know. And Paul is going to accept that charge, but with an explanation added to it. Okay. Um, this third charge uh, was also concerned the government because. And this is, this is how Tertullius was making his case. He wanted it to um, appear that Christianity was separate from, from Judaism. And if he could make that point, if he can get Festus to see that, then he would see Christianity and Paul as a threat to Rome. Okay, but, um, you know, that's, um, that's not going to happen because at that time the Christian faith was still identified with the Jews. So... You know his his case is pretty, um, pretty flimsy, and it wouldn't be until later on when Christianity when Christianity really took off, and when Nero became in power, that this would have been more of a threat. That Christianity kind of grew into being a threat to Rome. At this point in time, um, it really it really wasn't. So in this fourth the fourth thing, the fourth charge is that. Uh, that Paul tried to profane the temple, and of course Paul is going to refute this as well. But this fourth accusation, um, Tertullius had to handle it with care, uh, because he's he in in doing this he's he's impl- implicating that he's trying to say that all of this was the fault of Lysias, the commander. That that if he wouldn't have done what he did. None of this stuff would have happened. we would have just killed Paul back in Jerusalem, and it would have all been over with. so he's trying to make a case against um, this Roman centurion, really this Roman commander um, and that's um that's a pretty brave attempt you know to try to do because um, the, you know the Roman government didn't take well to that so Paul, Paul is, is, has these four charges. Tertullius, what he does in, in verse 6 is he, he's a pretty shrewd guy. He lessens the charge of this fourth accusation. And it says that in verse 6 that he tried to profane the temple. Okay, so he's got two reasons for this. Paul's accusers realized that the original charge, profaning the temple, um, there wasn't enough evidence even to sustain that. And then the other point that made their position weak is, if you remember, uh, I think it was back in chapter 21 when Paul was in the temple performing the vow, when the Asian Jews saw him in the temple, they thought they had brought Tromophius into the temple, Right, you guys remember that, and then that's when they flipped out, saying he profaned the temple. Well, those Jews from Asia were nowhere to be found, so there's—I mean, there's no witnesses to it. And uh, the Roman government really, uh, really was um, intent on having eyewitnesses of something. You know, if you were going to make a charge, I mean, you had to really present your case. So without those witnesses, um, you know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't have had a case. So he's, he's kind of dumbing down the charges a little bit. So it's interesting to see how he tries to take the blame from, from the, the actual rioters and tries to put it on Lysias' shoulders. So I think we understand a little bit how things worked in the Jewish religion. If they, I mean, they did have a right if somebody desecrated the temple, they could have, they could have you know, given him the death penalty. So when they, what his, his thought is that Paul would have been, justice would have been served if it weren't for Elysias stepping in. Everything was going according to plan. The temple was desecrated, we apprehended this guy, Paul, and we were getting ready to give him what he had coming, and we would have if it weren't for this Roman commander who swooped down and took him by force, right? And he, and remember when we read that verse, he emphasized that, that, you know, he was taking him by force. So I don't know what, what's going on in Felix's head, but, you know, this is... Um, This is kind of shaky ground to accuse a Roman commander of causing, you know, like he's saying, oh, no, it wasn't our fault. It was Lysias' fault. Because if he wouldn't have stepped in, if he wouldn't have got involved, everything would have been great. We wouldn't have been here. You'd be out doing whatever you'd be doing, and, you know, everything would be fine. But that's not the case. And once again, you know, this is all substantial right now because Paul hasn't really said anything yet. But Paul's response is really the exciting part of this. But this is, you know, it's kind of typical, I would think. I, I, On my BC days, I had some court experience, you know, so I understood a little bit about what it was like to go to court and, you know, witnesses and that whole thing. But, um, you know, for... For Tertullius, he's just trying to do his job. But, you know, once Paul starts speaking, you know, his whole case is going to go south. So in verse 7 through 9, it says, But the commander Lysias came, and of course, this is his response, um, trying to blame Lysias. But the commander Lysias came by and with great violence took him out of our hands, commanding his accusers to come to you by examining Paul or him, yourselves, yourself you may ascertain all these these things of which we accuse him. And the Jews also assented, maintaining that these things were so. So, you know, just bearing out that point that Tertullius was trying to shift the blame onto uh, Lysias, saying if he wouldn't have got involved, everything would have been great. So that's how he rests his case, okay? He charges Paul with these four charges. The last one, he kind of shifts, tries to shift the blame from um, the mob and you know the, the council to, um, to Lysias. So here's Paul's defense, and um, we should be able to get through most of that. All right, so let's read verses 10 through 21, and then we'll comment on them. So then Paul, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, And notice the difference between Paul's opening statement and um, Tertullius's. And as much as I know that you have been for many years a judge of this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself, because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. And they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting, inciting the crowd either, in the synagogue, or in the city. Nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, so I worship the God of my Father, believing all things which are written in the law and in the prophets. I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust, this being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. Now after many years, I came to bring alms and offerings to my nation, in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purified in the temple, neither with a mob nor tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me or else let those who are here themselves say, if they found any wrong in me while I stood before the council, while I stood before the council, unless it is for this one statement, which I cried out standing among them concerning the resurrection of the dead, I am being judged by you this day. So Paul's opening statement to um, you know to Felix is just pretty straightforward, you know and it's you know an honor to it's an honor to be before you to present my case really, and then he just gets right into it and I really like that when how he addresses being a public nuisance and and citing a riot and he's Paul is just so straightforward, and you know there's really a lot to learn from you know this little section of the way paul responds because it's such a just a a well presented thought um you know i mean it he's just speaking the truth you know and it doesn't seem like that he's um you know being vindictive in any way he's just speaking the truth this is what happened you know he's just being honest boy and that's a that's a good thing today right you know just being honest and upfront so he he says because in verse 11 through 13, you know, because you, you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since, I've been, since I went up to Jerusalem to worship. You know, basically, Paul is saying, how much trouble could I cause in 12 days? I've been here for 12 days. And, you know, I'm accused of all of this stuff. I mean, it, 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 it doesn't even make sense, Felix. How could, how could this happen? You know, it's, so he's just trying, you know, he's just putting it out there. And then he just tells them just straight up, and they neither found me in the temple, disputing with anyone nor inciting the crowd either in the synagogue or in the city, nor can they prove the things um, of which they now accuse me. You know Paul is just telling them what happened they didn't i wasn't disputing with anybody; I was taking this vow. these crazy people from you know, from Ephesus or from Asia showed up and started accusing me. You know, I mean, just putting it out there, just one point at a time. And, you know, of course, he, he wants to get that fact, you know, he wants to be on record that he hasn't done anything that could be in the remotest way viewed as sedition. All right, he wants, you know, I mean, obviously... Um, You know, who wants to put their life on the line in court for being charged with that? So Paul hardly had enough time to do anything um, or accomplish any of these things that these guys were saying. So it's just interesting to see just fact after fact. And, you know, it's interesting when you, um, you know, when you present the word of God, when somebody asks you about your faith or, you know, why do you feel a certain way about this issue or that issue? You know, it doesn't have to be this big elaborate thing. It's just speaking the word of God, just speaking the truth in love. You know, why do you feel a certain way? Why do you feel this way, you know, about this law or that law? You know, we should be able to explain the way we feel from a biblical view, a biblical perspective. You know, Paul is just speaking the truth and he's just being honest with these folks. He He doesn't need to wiggle around any of this. You know, like Tertullius was doing, he's just being straight with the facts. So he goes on, responding to this third charge, and he says, but this, in verse 14, he says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way, now in verse 5, the Jews referred to the Christians as Nazarenes, right? So he says, but this I confess to you, according to the way, which they call a sect, So I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. Remember, Tertullius is trying to to kind of separate Christianity from, right, from Judaism. And he's trying to make it look like Paul is starting to, you know, this subverting the Roman government, starting to um, come up with this new religion. And Paul is just saying, no, 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 no. This has got nothing to do with that. You know, he's just telling them. You know, he says, so I worship the God of my fathers, believing all things that are written in the law and of the prophets. You know, Felix knows, he knows a lot about Judaism, and he knows a lot about what's happening with the church at this point. So he's understanding what Paul is saying. You know, and, and this is, you know, it's, it's probably it's obvious you guys know this, but you know I really believe that you know the Lord is just ministering through, through Paul. The, the Holy Spirit is just giving Paul, you know, the wisdom, the discernment, the the word of knowledge, just to to say these things and to present his case. So in verse fifteen it says, "I have hope in God, which they themselves also accept, that they will that there will be that there will be a resurrection of the dead." Both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself also strive to have a conscience without effect toward God and men. Now, after many years, I came bringing alms and offerings uh, to my nation, and in the midst of which some Jews from Asia found me purifying in the temple. Excuse me, neither with a mob nor a tumult. They ought to have been here before you to object if they had anything against me. So Paul's not denying the third charge. He's just explaining that, um, you know, he's not a ringleader. He's just a follower, right? He's not the the leader. He's just a follower. He's just, you know, he's just staying true to, um, you know, to his Jewish faith, right? Now he's saved. He's just, you know, he's just living out and believing those things that were written in the law and in the prophets. You know, he's born again. You know, so he's he's not the leader of it. I don't think Paul at this point in his life, I mean, obviously didn't know the significance of his life would have, but you know, here is a guy that's just following Jesus, just being faithful to what. You know, God has put on his heart to do, and, um, you know, he's just doing it. And he's just, you know, being real with these guys. Hey, look, you know, they can say whatever they want, but this is the reality of it. You know, Judaism, Christianity is just the, it's the next step. It's the next step. So, you know, he's, um, he doesn't, he makes his case, doesn't, Let Tertullius, with his thought that there's two separate religions here, um, get in the way. And you know, one thing that Paul said in verse 16, this being so, I I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and man. And uh, you know, if you get the order right, things really work out, right? Because when you strive to have a conscience without offense towards God, you'll have a conscience without offense towards men, you know, but it's, you know, it's our relationship with the Lord first that determines how everything else falls into place as we live out our faith. So um, not about, not about us first. So in Paul, when he's talking about in verse 17, you know, now after many years I came to bring alms and an offering to my nation you know, on his third missionary journey, you guys know he was taking that offering, and that's one of the big reasons why he wanted to get back to Jerusalem to present that offering. And for Paul, I really think that him doing things like this, ministering and serving in that capacity, um, part of his heart was to bring unity into church between you know the foundational part of the church was which was mostly. Um, Jewish believers, but you know coming back from being out in the mission field and bringing this offering back from the Gentiles and saying, You know look, you know the this church is one Jew and Gentile. you know it was important for Paul to keep the unity of the church, and you know that should be so important to us, you know the unity of the church. The unity of, you know, the word of God and just submitting to the word of God, you know, rightly dividing it. You know, there's just so much to it. And Paul was, you know, when you talk about ambassadors, you know, really has really set the pace and set the mark for us, you know, as, as a, you know, as a person who loved the church, who loved the Lord and knew the importance of unity and when oneness, you know, no, you know, the church, you know, he wrote it, right? That it's no, the church is Jew and Gentile, we're one in Christ. So, you know, he reminds uh, Felix of that. Um, Let's let's jump to the last one: the his respond to charge number four uh, with regard to um, causing him to profane or profaning the temple, and uh, just. His reply is, is just really cool. He says, well, he was, you know, he was in the act of bringing offerings to the temple and, and performing that Jewish vow that the church leadership wanted him to do, that these certain Jews from Asia found him and accused him of taking an unclean Gentile, which was Chemophius, um, into the temple. And, um, you know, of course, from reading up to this point, we know that's not true. We know that that's a lie. And, uh, you know, Paul drives home, you know, that point as well. And, um, he, and he makes the point. He says, you know, and if this was really the case, then why aren't these guys here? Why aren't they here standing before you, Felix? If it's true, then where are they? And if they're not here to present their case, then were these guys here? The guy, you know, the counsel. Are, are any of them going to stand up and say that they saw this happen? I mean, the whole case is really just senseless. But, you know, God is using all of this to get Paul to Caesarea and eventually to Rome. And it's, it's amazing um, the detours that are going to happen even from getting from Caesarea to get to Rome. You know, because there's, some, there's a few more things that the Lord wants Paul to do before he gets to Rome. And, you know, I, I know this is obvious, but, you know, guys, I hope you, you see that, you know, that sometimes, you know, our, our lives look like they're going off course or, you know, we think that, you know, this is what we should be doing. And, you know, there's like this roadblock or something kind of slows us up or something happens. You know, you just got to keep seeking the Lord. You just have to keep asking. You just have to keep knocking. You know, don't let circumstances derail you. You know, and, you know, you don't have to give me a show of hands, but how many of you guys think that Paul would have been justified sometimes along the way saying, hey, wait a minute. You know, this is crazy. Everything that I think I'm supposed to be doing when I get there, I mean, I'm either getting beaten by the mob, I'm getting stoned, but yet at the same time in his mind he's thinking, but I I know for sure this is what God wants me to do. You know, so, you know, don't get discouraged in the will of God. Don't panic in the will of God. You know, because it's, it's not going to be, uh, you know, I, I, I think we've all learned this lesson along the way. You know, we used to think if we were in the will of God, everything was going to be peachy. You know, you first get saved and everything's going to go smooth. And, you know, then, you know, the first speed bumps you hit when you first got saved, you were like, wait a minute, what's going on? You know, this isn't supposed to happen. But it does. It does. And you know what? I'm so encouraged by just reading through the book of Acts to see um, how the early church dealt with adversity and how God honored that as they stayed true to the course, as they stayed true to the Lord. So uh, we're going to stop here. Um, You know, read read ahead. This is really, from now to the end of the book of Acts, is they should I mean they should make a movie out of the this is amazing just to see how Paul gets to Rome and then think, oh, now that he's at Rome and think about it when he's at Rome think of he writes a whole bunch more of the New Testament I mean god is God amazing doesn't even describe it. God is just awesome and I hope as you read through the rest of Acts and as we cover it, um, you know, on my Sunday nights, that, um, you know, your faith will just grow in leaps and bounds, just seeing God's hand. When it looks like that things can get just totally out of hand, God is still there. You know, and the ship's going down, but God said everybody's going to make it. Everybody makes it. You know, Paul, you're going to Rome, but you know what? There's a whole island of people that need to hear about me. I mean, think about that. So it's exciting. So when you wake up tomorrow, just think of how exciting your day could be, if, even if you just got a little bit of some of this excitement that Paul's facing into your morning, right? But the, I guess the bottom line is to, to keep the faith, trust the Lord, and remember you know, we're, we're going to be a light. We're going to be a witness on this planet until God takes us. And, and that's, that's really, uh, I was, you know, sometimes, you know, you get these weird, like, phrases in your mind. And it's a good thing you don't say them all the time. But you know what? It's, it's truly a blessing and an honor um, to think when um, we wake up tomorrow uh, that God is going to meet us right? His mercies are new every morning. And he's, he's going to be there greeting us with a smile on his face, excited about the day. And you know what? He's going to leave it up to us how we respond to that invitation. And I think that's what Paul did every morning. He got up, regardless if he was in a jail or wherever, and um, just said, okay, Lord, you know, what's on what's on the it's on the program for today it's exciting let's pray lord thank you for um, your word and i thank you for giving us an opportunity to um just look at the early church and uh, the, what they went through the the challenges and the blessings um, the heartache and the joys and lord we're um we live in a different time, but yep, we're still the church, and Lord, we, we still have that same call and mandate that they had, and I pray, God, that you would continue to challenge us and stretch us to to be um, all that you've called us to be, uh, God, that we would um, be excited, Lord, about the opportunity to, that we have to serve the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and uh, to think that Um, You know, Paul thought it was an honor to to speak before Festus and Felix and these other um, political guys, these kings and rulers. Um, We have the opportunity to to walk and talk with you every day, uh, Lord, of our existence here on this planet. And we thank you for that, and I pray that the reality of that truth would really um, sink deep into our hearts, God, and that we would truly, um, truly, uh, truly... um, Just sense uh, just the awesomeness of that. So we praise you and thank you for um, the rest of our night. I pray, God, you get us all home safely. And, Lord, um, should you give us tomorrow, we thank you for being an active part of it. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.